You are what you eat. If the old saying is true, some of us are a grass-fed and finished beefsteak, while others are a sad handful of baby carrots. Others still are whatever godforsaken excuse for fried food we grabbed in the drive-thru on the way to work. I think we can do better. And if we do it right, optimum nutrition in can mean optimum performance out. Today, we'll discuss how female tactical athletes, and really anyone, can optimize performance with food. I'm your host, Meg, and this is The Valkyrie Project. Good afternoon, everyone, or I guess I should say just hello, because you could be listening in the morning or evening. Welcome back to episode three of The Valkyrie Project podcast. I'm your host, Meg. And today I'm sitting down with my good friend, a fellow coach at Evolution Athletics in North Carolina, and um, just generally an all-around cool chick, Miss Tina Mazzullo. Welcome, Tina. Thanks for being here. Hello, Meg. Thank you very much, and hello, everyone. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Tina is also a mentor on our Valkyrie Project forum, so she is available to those of you that have that membership for questions that you might have about nutrition or anything like that. Um, But just to jump right into it, Tina, I think that this is probably going to be one of the more important podcasts that I do because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of theories and a lot of science and a lot of generally more or less concrete information out there when we talk about human performance and how to make it better, you know, how to improve upon it. Nutrition being one of those keystone things. I feel like I speak for everyone when I say that sometimes a volume of information is just overwhelming. Definitely, especially in this age of information everywhere, information overload, right? Yep, yep. And I had even spoken to last week with Dr. Snig about the fact that, you know, you can get on Google and essentially whether the information is good or not, you can find it. (laughs) I know you guys can't see a Tina shaking her head. I mean, I I know you love Dr. Google, right? Yes. How to lose 15 pounds in like three weeks is a good place to start on Dr. Google, right? Or how to lose $500 in five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're talking there about the uh, folks peddling all the, all the answers for nutrition. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of it is bro science or, you know, you can study a lot of information and it could be biased. So having someone to individualize your nutrition, I think is optimal. Bro science. What, how exactly does one define the term bro science? Well, there's a lot of really good generalized information. And what basically what bro science is, is they take a topic that has scientific evidence. So let's say tree leaves improve performance. One study done on five people, not peer reviewed. So then this bro puts it out on a blog and all of a sudden hundreds of people are eating tree leaves. And even though there may or may not be actual evidence proving, you know, that that is good for you. Um, For example, you need multiple studies, you need peer reviewed articles, you need several people in the study for it to be a valid study. And what people do is they just pick, kind of pick and choose what Mm -hmm. they want, and then make a lot of money actually in blogging and, and giving information. I believe it. I've seen that a lot with personal training as well. You know, as long as someone can list off a couple credentials and they've got the right answer for everyone. And in general, I think we take a little pride here at the Valkyrie Project in, in doing the best we can to say, these are the proven techniques. Let's, let's go with what works, what we know works for sure. 
Yeah. And even then, like I'm in constant pursuit of knowledge and I would never say that I know everything. Um, and I don't think anybody should. There is, and when I do speak today about certain topics, I'm not speaking in definites. I will say, you know, it has been shown or this might help because there are studies that unfortunately make my job extremely hard for every study out there that says X is good. There's a study saying X is bad Mm -hmm. and super unfortunate. Yeah. And it's, it's really frustrating too, even for the lay person, you know, you've got these advanced degrees in nutrition and, you know, the rest of us are just (laughs) hoping that, you know, we can trudge through and, and meet our goals without, you know, derailing our health too much. But yeah, I've even pretty recently, I've had a conversation with my, uh, my brother, who's kind of getting into a different phase of his fitness journey where he's found CrossFit and really enjoying doing it. And we have a lot of conversations about nutrition and, you know, what my opinion is on certain things. And I feel like, you know, we've gotten to the point at the end of every conversation where it's like, you know, I wish I could say this is the golden ticket. This is exactly the answer you need for perfect health and wellness and fitness and longevity and all the things that we want, but it just doesn't seem like it exists. It's kind of a balance, I think. And there are also those cases where people have lost 150 pounds by taking this pill, this magic pill, or um, people have lost 200 pounds by doing this diet. And when you see those type of results, you want to have those results yourself. And like I said, it's highly individualized. It's not going to be the same for each person. I mean, it goes really a lot deeper than this, but just for just a surface example, we have different body types. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you've heard the endo, ecto, and mesomorph different body types, and we all eat differently in that regard. And then again, our genetics make us very different. Um, one really cool example is um, if you were pregnant back in deprivation times, like in the 1920s when there was a lot of famine, um, your baby actually developed a way to store fat. It's pretty amazing because that baby was undernourished. So it developed a way of storing fat that's better than our way of storing fat. And they ended up becoming obese. And that's how those obesogenic markers kind of came about. And it's unfortunate because you're born with that gene. And it's frustrating for people because they have to work harder than someone who doesn't have that gene. Wow, I'd I'd never actually heard that before. I've already learned something today in the first five minutes. That's amazing. All right. Wow. Well, um, I'd like to start just to get our viewer or listeners rather a little warmed up to what inspired you to get here? What made you choose nutrition? Um, and I think uh, it's always fun to listen to other people's journeys in terms of just how did you get how did you get in this seat? Because really, I think we're all here because we we want to be and we want to make ourselves better. So, what was it about nutrition that said to Tina like this is what I want to do with my life? Well, Meg, I love talking about myself, so this is a great segue. Um, But I did listen to your last podcast, and I thought it was very interesting how you talked about once you were into interior design and you're going a completely different route. And um, same thing goes for myself. When I was young, I actually was really good at math. So my advisor said, well, you should be an engineer because female engineers at that time were um, needed. And you make more money just being female because of diversity. And so I was like, okay, well, I was really good at it, but it wasn't my passion. And through all of the military moves, I ended up with a job teaching children nutrition. And 
my very first experience with nutrition was with children. So having children myself, wanting to shape my child. I myself was not eating well. I just happened to be an ectomorph and I can eat a lot of carbohydrates and not gain a whole lot of weight. So I'm just lucky Uh, that way. You lucky duck. Every woman out there in America is like, shut up, Tina. I'm just kidding. I don't have that problem. I can look at a cupcake and then my pants get tighter, like what just happened. I think looking at you, I think you have more mesomorph, which is kind of in the middle. I digress. So my story continues. One of my kids one day came up to me and they said, Miss Tina, my mom won't buy these foods for me. And at that moment, I realized, well, teaching the kids, I might not be getting where I want to be getting. Maybe I oh, need to be mean, teaching. Like, the foods that you were recommending they get. Correct. The kid clearly doesn't have control over the finances and can't go to earth fair and just stay on the outer vegetable aisles. And if mom wants to buy boxed or canned food, then that's what's for dinner. Exactly. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you take your, if your child is overweight and you take them, let's say they're diabetic or pre-diabetic and you take them to a dietitian, it's just as much about teaching the parent as it is about teaching the child. Well, at this time I didn't know that I was just, this was just my job teaching kids nutrition. And so at that point I was like, wow, well, this is really needed. And in order to teach adults, you have to have credentials. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter what you know, it doesn't matter what I say on this podcast. If I don't have credentials to back up what I say, adults don't have as much respect. They don't revere you as much. They don't respect your information as much. If sure. You and I think that, you know, either one of us would have the same expectation for any realm of life. Like, When I stumble across these bros on the internet or even these gals on the internet that, you know, make outrageous claims, I'm immediately clicking through the about me section. Like, what are your qualifications? Because sure, you can be smarter than me, but you got to prove it to me first. Exactly. So at that point, I started going to college for dietetics. And while in dietetics, I started CrossFit. And through CrossFit, as you know, nutrition is a big thing, right? Mm -hmm. When you're more physically active and you're taking care of your body physically, your mind kind of just naturally goes to nutrition. And when you're in this realm, when you have all these people that are surrounding you, you have a couple of different categories of people. One, I do CrossFit to eat what I want. Or two, I do CrossFit and now I want to eat what makes me feel great and perform great. And I fell in that latter category. And so all of these things shaped and molded me over time. But one thing that I was kind of fighting with was dietetics was solely about, do you have diabetes? Do you have high blood pressure? Do you have cardiovascular disease? Here are the ways that we can combat that. And here's some general blanket information for the masses, the mass majority of people. The sick majority of the United States, not people who might want to prevent being sick. Absolutely. And definitely not athletes. And in order to really get that specialization, you either need to double major or minor in kinesiology. And at that time I wasn't, I was only doing dietetics. So immediately I started getting, I got my level one certification. um, I got certified in sports nutrition just because this area interested me that it was missing it was lacking in the dietetics world and i think that that's actually a problem Um, we are instead of preventing disease we're putting a band-aid on it or putting a medication on it after it already comes about and when it comes to these different types of diseases unfortunately you can eat mcdonald's for 10 years and not see any effects at all so you just keep eating it but you're doing small damage over time. And 
I really, really was passionate about, well, I want to know what the sports side. So if somebody was talking, let's say they said, here are the protein needs for the mass majority. I would be raising my hand. Well, what are the, pro what about the athletes? Or if they were talking about BMI and body mass index, and they said, well, this is how we figure out that you're overweight or obese. Well, I would be raising my hand. What about athletes? How does this apply? I mean, you're talking about a height to weight ratio here, right? So how does this apply to athletes who weigh more because muscle weighs more than fat? And all of these questions kind of led to my future. And my current employment now is at Evolution Athletics as a coach. And I also do nutrition consultations to many different people. So I have people that have diabetes. I have people who are pre and post surgery. I have people who are athletes, people who are sedentary, um, healthy people, unhealthy people, people who are runners, people who are CrossFitters. Everyone is different. And I love that. But I want the knowledge, you know, about specifically sports. And I really like what the Valkyrie Project is doing with, you know, tactical athletes. And it's not just military either. It's you know, police officers, firefighters, you know, they are all part of the tactical realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to clarify for listeners, um, when, when you hear myself and Tina referring to athletes, we're generally referring to anyone who's looking to improve their current state of physical prowess. So uh, both of us are actually coaches at the same gym in the local area we live in. And so anyone that walks through the door that wants to physically improve becomes an athlete because at that point you are improving at the sport of life, right? So we would never dismiss the 80-year-old granny walking in saying she wants to train. She's an athlete, right? So just to step back a little bit um, and, and clarify for listeners, because we do, you know, for those that aren't familiar with what the Valkyrie Project aims to do, we are a company designed to optimize performance for females in the military, meaning, you know, generally that we saw a gap after 2016, when all MOSs and all schools became available to women, we said, hey, you know, there's a lot of resources out there for the guys, but not so much for the girls. So we want to create a physical training program that makes women more durable and more uh, competitive and able to sustain performance in those difficult military schools and trainings. But we also want to provide some education for the community via a podcast, and we want to create a community where people can bring their questions and their concerns, and that takes the shape of our mentor forum on Facebook, um, which you can access through ValkyrieProjectUS.com. But overall, the goal is to better prepare women for those roles in the military. But the kinds of things that we're getting after are performance factors that anyone in any walk of life could look at and say, I can do this better, and nutrition being one of them for sure. But you had mentioned previously moving around a lot with the military. Just want to clarify for the listeners that um, you are a military spouse. Your husband, Justin's an awesome dude, also a stud in the gym. We have a power couple people. Half of that power couple is here. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your experience has been with the military and, and how you've seen like any different aspect of the nutritional realm with the military, whether good, bad, or ugly? Oh, absolutely. Um, I really love the military. I'm third generation dependent. And I have watched, you know, my grandfather and my father and my husband um, all put their all into defending this country. And I take pride in this country just as much as they do. And I try to take care of things back here stateside. And I think nutritionally speaking, as far as the military goes, 
I think the number one thing that most people think of is the MRE when they think of military and nutrition. And really, there are people that are spending a lot of time researching how to make that optimal for the athlete. There's a lot of science behind it. There's a lot of work that goes into it. It's not just some random person throwing a bunch of things into a bag, even though it kind of might look like that or taste like it. Yeah, the the taste. It's actually gotten a lot better from my first experience with, for those that don't know, MRA stands for meal ready to eat. It's essentially food that's prepackaged for soldiers and sailors and airmen. And it's kind of like a glorified Chef Boyardee. And there's like a little heater pack in there. And they've actually, in my experience, they taste a lot better now than they did years ago. Like, I think they finally cycled out that terrible egg omelet thing. Like, I think it's finally disappeared off the face of the earth, but nobody ever wanted the MRE egg omelet. I really like that they really balance the macronutrients and they have put a lot of thought into that and how many calories that they should have in it because each person is supposed to have three per day and it's between nine and 1250 calories, give or take, um, for each package. So you can choose that Let's say if you're a male, you would choose the higher caloric one three times a day. And if you're a female, you would choose the lower. But it's also very balanced as far as the macronutrients go and very closely balanced to what the zone requires, like the zone diet, which is about 40% carbs, 30 protein and fat. It's very close. Sometimes you can get kind of down to 15% protein in your MREs, which still, if you do the math, calorically 15% of the total calories, it's still a good amount of protein as far as your metabolically active weight. So I think they do a good job. I think that with everything, they can probably do a little bit better, but I think overall it, you can still sustain your activity at a tactical level, eating the MREs. It's good to know. I didn't realize that there was so much information and research and study that went into putting those things together. I mean, it's I had always known that the salt content was really high in MREs just because people in the field and on different profiles sweating out a lot, but okay. I think the negative behind the MRE is, and something that they're starting to look at now is, you know, the gastrointestinal upset. So I know you've heard of it causing constipation and things like that. Um, I think that they are definitely doing some research now and what they're recommending. And this is, like I said, nothing that I say is blanket or definite, but they are recommending maybe taking a probiotic with it, helping with some of that gastrointestinal upset, um, just making sure you have a healthy gut going in. Mm -hmm. And I think... I think it's a win to have a healthy gut anyway, because it can really help with a lot of different areas. Yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, there's a lot of science coming out recently that talks about the interconnectedness that the gut biome has with just every level of the functionality of your body. Um, It's kind of mind blowing, really, that the positive effect that you can have on healthy gut bacteria. Like the brain-gut connection. Mm -hmm. It's pretty interesting. The gut controls a lot of different things. There's creating vitamins. Um, But if you just think of it just from a very simple level, if you're trying to flush out waste and you want to keep as much as you can of the good stuff and get rid of as much as you can of the bad stuff, I mean, that's kind of their job. It's like your mini army in your gut, you know, when you have the probiotics, the good bacteria. And then the opposite is true if you have things like candida in your gut, which feeds off of this processed sugar that we have out there. And that's the bad bacteria. And these things cause diarrhea and different things that nobody wants, especially for performance. Oh, yeah, definitely not. So for those that don't know a whole lot about it, can you clarify 
what the gut brain connection is or like how that manifests itself. Like, you know, how would I, how would I see that if I, if I have a bad gut biome, for example, how that, how would that affect my brain function versus if, if I'm in, in better shape? Well, everything in your body is interconnected. So for example, your lymphatic system goes all over your entire body, right? Um, The oxygen flowing through your blood, it's going through your entire body and everything goes back to your brain. And what I mean by that, I'm not saying that if you eat a taco, the taco nutrients are going to end up in your brain. Okay. That's not what I'm saying. It's not a direct route. It's indirect. But what I am saying is that when you have an unhealthy gut, there are certain things that are produced in your body um, that get into your bloodstream and then end up into your brain. So what you want to make sure is that you have the good bacteria outweighing the bad bacteria so that none of those byproducts of the bad bacteria end up in your brain. And the opposite is true that the good bacteria is creating these vitamins. Like there's certain vitamins, for example, they give a baby a vitamin K shot when they're born because they don't have that gut bacteria yet to be able to produce that vitamin themselves. So we produce that in our gut. So we want to make sure that we have the good bacteria producing the things that we need for that good brain power. I'm no nutritionist or scientist, but I I definitely feel the physical manifestation of when I've been eating well versus when I haven't, especially when I hit the gym. So that's, that's definitely something that we can get after a little bit of today. The next thing I wanted to talk about, Miss Tina, was some of the steps that we have taken in recent nutrition science. The main reason I want to focus on this is that there seem to still be camps out there clinging to those last wisps of hope for the low-fat movement or you need so many servings of whole grain every day. Science that is, at this point, seems to me to be a little bit outdated, right? Like for the longest time in the 80s and the 90s, it was get lots and lots of grains, low-fat diet, this is how you live forever. And apparently it's come out very recently that there was a causation versus uh, correlation error with that whole bad fats versus good fats study that came out and you know made everyone think well i want to have low cholesterol i have to eat low cholesterol foods so can we can we just kill that myth right now yeah well you just hit on three different ones so let's hit on each one individually. sorry my brain's kind of in 10 different places right now i'm just so excited to have you here (laughs) that's awesome um so first we'll start with the low fat You know, I have seen like my grandmother, my grandmother lived on a low fat diet, um, low calorie, low fat, high activity, and she was very healthy. And I have seen people on a lot of different, like the low calorie, uh, the low fat, the low cholesterol. I've seen them go through that and be successful. So please don't take anything I say as a definite. Once again, I'm going to repeat. However, for the low fat diet, the problem is most of these foods are filled with sugar or some other added ingredient because fat's where the flavor is. So let's just use, for example, Greek yogurt. Just one simple thing as mm-hmm. an example. When you take the fat out, you lose that creaminess, that thick, creamy mouthfeel. So in order to regain that, a lot of sugars or maybe fake sugars, sugar alcohols um, are added in. And what ends up happening is... So the food will still be satisfying and enjoyable to the consumer, even though there's no fat in it. Absolutely. I see what you're saying. Absolutely. And what happens is not only... So fat is satiating, right? At nine grams or nine calories per gram, Mm -hmm. right? So there's more... It's more calorically dense. So when you take it out, you end up sometimes overeating, So that's why the ketogenic diet is very successful because you're eating less, 
not less calories per se, but less food and you're more satiated because fat is very satiating. Um, so what I mean by that is it makes you feel fuller and more satisfied. So when you're not eating enough fat, you end up overeating sugar or overeating carbohydrates. And typically they're not good carbohydrates. Typically it's added sugars from purchasing low fat items. And that's just the unfortunate side effect of that. One of the things that makes things like the ketogenic diet so successful is when you're elevating your protein and fat intake, you just automatically eat less. So instead of tracking every single thing that you're eating, you're naturally eating less just by eating certain foods, which kind of segues us into the next topic that you mentioned, which was the low calorie diet, right? Um, So one of the things of yesteryear was eat less, weigh less, right? And unfortunately, that kind of gave us a morphed reality. Um, And what we end up doing is getting eating disorders and becoming vitamin deficient. And it's really unfortunate because, and especially, and I don't mean to ever call out a specific gender, but especially with women, I'm going to do it. I'm going to call them out. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we're not satisfied. And I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but with tactical athletes, because they constantly want to be bettering themselves and not, I don't want to say be the best, but definitely they want to constantly better themselves. They have that double-sided I'm never satisfied. So not only are they not satisfied with how they look in the mirror, but they're also not satisfied with their performance because it's not enough. It's never enough, right? So we've never lost enough weight. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the the worst part about the low-calorie diet is that morphed reality of what we should or shouldn't be eating. And people just massively undereat. And then they're overperforming and undereating. And all they're doing now is pulling energy from their muscles and that's storing no fat. way to recover. That's no way to improve. No. Certainly throws your hormones off balance. Absolutely. I mean, I would imagine too that, you know, because carbohydrate and protein have like that hormonal footprint that fat does not, it's also probably a reason why people on keto eventually find themselves with a lot more stable energy levels because it's very different from you know, those 500 calories that you might get from a fatty avocado snack is a very different 500 calories from a bowl full of spaghetti or cereal. Oh, absolutely. And you can tap into that. Once you do tap into that fat utilization. Now in the beginning, you do experience some fatigue and, um, low performance. Um, some people call it the brain cloud or the brain fog where they're starting the zone diet or starting the keto diet and they feel weak. But once you make it through that period, um, as long as you're doing it alongside a nutritionist or alongside someone who can help you through that, because another caveat to that is there's a small chance that they could be doing it wrong. So I'm not saying that every single person who does the keto diet is going to experience the brain fog, right? Or that small lapse in performance as their body transitions from carbohydrate utilization to fat utilization. However, I am saying that you definitely want to be working with someone while you're doing it to do it safely because the, the brain only uses glucose for energy. So 
what ends up happening is your liver is producing ketones for energy when you're utilizing fat. And that's a totally different process. So those ketones need to go to your brain. Your brain only uses glucose. So in order for it to get it the energy that it needs, that's why the liver produces the ketones. So the brain can get the energy. All your other muscles can use other types of energy, your muscles, your mm -hmm. cells, they all use other types of energy, just not your brain. So that's kind of why you get that kind of brain fog. But back to the low calorie being that of yesteryear, um, I think that one of the things that I want to make sure that people know, and especially in the tactical environment, is when you're putting yourself, you are considered in the tactical environment, you're considered an endurance athlete. That, that's your consideration. You're training 12 to 20 hours a week. So a lot of times, let's just put this into perspective. A lot of times you're doing PT every day plus your training every day, right? So just PT plus training every day is 12 hours. Which I don't recommend to anyone, by the way. I realize that you know a lot of sectors of the military force you to do PT with a group in the morning, whether you want it or not. Um, but if you, have your, if you find yourself in a position of leadership where you can find ways to train everyone individually, intelligently. That's my personal preference, but go on, please, Miss Tina. Well, you know, a lot of these people, like let's just use the CrossFit games, for example. A lot of these guys are working out like five hours a day. Well, they need to be feeding their bodies. That's the main point of everything that I just said. they're essentially professional athletes. Absolutely. Like. And so are tactical military females of the Valkyrie Project, right? Because they are training in such a way that they're putting their body under a lot of stress. Therefore, their cortisol levels are increasing. So these low calorie diets, not for them. I'm not saying that you can't still experience fat loss if that's your goal. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we on an individual level will figure out and decide. But just, just the mindset of low calorie, we just need to get away from that completely. We really do. Because what ends up happening, Meg, this is what happens. People don't track. Mm -hmm. They just say, well, I'm barely eating anything today, so I'm probably losing weight. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. And it's very unhealthy and it can cause a lot of undue stress on the body. Sure. Headaches, fatigue, insomnia, mm -hmm. nausea, low performance. Yeah. And no matter, I mean, it, I thought it was interesting the comment you made about it's, it's difficult to separate yourself from habits that you've had your whole life just because you have a new job profile or something, you know, a new addition of whatever the next chapter is for you, you always hang on to those habits. And, you know, certainly there's a piece of our culture that expects women to look and act a certain way. And it's, it's in inspiring and refreshing to see some brands like, uh, for example, I think it's Dove that did the like a girl movement and how, you know, the CrossFit games is kind of shedding light on strong women and being, you know, essentially saying the new standard is whatever the stand, whatever you want the standard to be, whatever works for your life is what is, is what you should be shooting for. Um, but there's still a lot of perpetual high expectations that are just unattainable, unattainable goals sometimes in our mentality. And it's been kind of cool for me as a coach over the last 10 years or so to really see people like that shift, the paradigm shift in our culture, just for an example, um, I love Netflix and I love to binge on Netflix, just like the next gal or guy. And I recently watched like every single episode of Friends from start to finish all the way through. It took me a couple weeks, <laughs> but I remember like watching and thinking how crazy it was that, you know, my mom probably aimed to look like a Rachel or Monica when she was my age, when she was in her early thirties. And now having been around the fitness community for a while and 
had the experience, having the experiences I've had, I now watch that show and I'm like, man, somebody give that girl some bacon. Like, <laughs> give her a pork chop. Get her under a bench. Put some muscle on those skinny arms. And I don't ever mean, I, like, I would never say that to, you know, disparage one body type as being, you know, worse than the other. However, my culture, Meg's culture is different now because of the amount of time I spend around fit women in the gym. And gosh, it drives me nuts. Like, I know they don't mean to drive me nuts with it, but when a new athlete comes in and they're like, I just want to be toned. I don't want to get bulky. It's like, well, Mm. you're not going to look like the CrossFit Games girl. You're not going to look like a bodybuilder unless you are very specifically dedicating your life and nutrition to that. Like, but some muscle mass is good for everybody. And it actually is a great way to burn more calories. Like the more muscle you have, the more your body uses fuel. So just naturally. It's a win-win. And then the more creatine you produce naturally as well. So Mm -hmm. then you have more synthesis over time, which is excellent. I actually had a friend when I first started CrossFit, she would always tell me, I don't want to do squats. My booty's big enough. I don't want it any bigger. And I was the opposite, right? Because I told you I'm the ectomorph, right? So I'm like, well, I want a booty, so I'm going to do all the squats. And I think that it's interesting. I never really felt thin enough growing up, right? I feel perfectly fine with myself now because it's more about what I can do, not about what I look like. And I love that culture, the culture you're speaking of. You know, I don't have to look in the mirror and be dissatisfied like I was growing up. But I look back at my pictures and I'm like, are you crazy? (laughs) (laughs) like you were perfectly fine why were you yeah i think we're our own worst critic though absolutely and you you're you're speaking the truth when you say that you know especially those of us that find ourselves in positions where we want to be the best at everything and then there's you know the critical side and like yeah sometimes we gotta just check those feelings at the door and look at the bigger picture and say you know i'm i'm doing what i want to be doing with my life and that's good enough for right now. I don't, I don't know if I don't you've ever to... heard this, Meg, but in CrossFit, it's really interesting. Each wad that you do, that you perform daily, is a small goal tackled. And I think that if we developed a nutrition program that we're in line with that same thing, so a very small goal that you obtain, then you're constantly winning. So when you approach the wad of the day, right? You're scared, butterflies in your stomach, that 10 seconds that's on the clock. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. And then you do it and you feel great. You've accomplished something. You conquered it. And we're doing that daily, right? We're getting that daily. And I think nutritionally speaking, we make these really big goals. Like a year from now, I want to look like this or no, let me rephrase. Here's the goal that I want Miss nutritionist. Oh, I'm sorry, but that's going to take you a year. What? But that pill said it only takes six weeks. And I think that if we shorten our expectations, Mm -hmm. and this is in performance, this is in, you know, our our technical realm, our our work, our nutrition. If we just shorten those expectations really small and Mm -hmm. are winning more often, I think that we'll just be happier, you know, and more satisfied with ourselves. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we live in an instant gratification society. I mean, for Amazon Prime for Pete's sake, like 15 years ago, that just would have been mind boggling that you could get 30 tubes of toothpaste like six hours from right now, like delivered oh, yeah. to your house. The dash button. That's crazy. Do you have a dash button? I have dash buttons. You have to get a dash button. Man. I don't know what that is, but it sounds like it probably would contribute to my already bad Amazon Prime habit. <laughs> yes, I will. I'm going to try and keep a, a, a healthy balance in my life of online shopping. <laughs> but um, yeah, you're, to- you're essentially describing the 
how do you eat an elephant phenomenon? How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. All right. Good stuff. So let's get into the nitty gritty talking about what do I put in my face to make myself better at life in general? We talked a little bit about the keto diet already. And my main question is because I've had athletes ask me about it and I don't have a ton of experience with it myself. I've done zone paleo whole 30. I've done uh, flexible dieting with calculating my macros. I've done all the things except for keto. And I, what I've heard, you know, and just putting the feelers out there is that some people are doing it the wrong way because they're not really putting the appropriate math behind what they're eating. And the assumption is just, if I live on avocados and olive oil, that this is going to happen for me. And my assumption is that there are different factors that have to play into that calculation, like your metabolic rate, how much you train, how much other nutrient macronutrient you need in order to sustain a healthy, if we're talking about like an athlete, like a training profile, right? Is that true that there's a formula, there's a good formula and a nutritionist needs to help you figure that formula out before you start eating your weight in avocados? That's a really good question. And I like, I really like what you said about like that individualized, like you said, just the avocado, as long as I'm just eating avocados, I'll be great. And people tend to do that. Unfortunately, they miss that variety. They miss, you know, eating an abundance of different foods and getting different micronutrients from different areas. And it's unfortunate. Uh, chicken and broccoli, I'm paleo, right? Avocado, so I'm boring. keto. Yeah. Chicken and broccoli makes my heart sad right now. It's incredibly <laughs> sad. So what I want to say, first of all, for the keto is, yes, there is something that I do mathematically in my consultations. However, there is kind of a little rule of thumb and that's a five to one ratio of fat to carbs. Okay. Okay. And I hadn't heard that yet. I think that that really helps because so if each, each person has a different caloric intake that they need, right. right. Um, and I think that if you use that ratio, it kind of takes all the confusing parts out. So the gender doesn't matter anymore. The weight doesn't matter anymore. The height, the age, all of those different factors that I take into account when I do my mathematics and my consultation, and they can kind of have a rough idea um, because maybe not everybody will have access to a nutritionist. I do recommend though, anytime, especially with the ketogenic diet, just because of the complexity of creating ketones out of your liver. And the fact that I mentioned earlier that, you know, the brain really uses the glucose for energy. And if you're lacking in that area, and like you said, people just aren't doing it correctly. And that's the unfortunate part. Um, you have that bro science once again, where you have a lot of information on the internet and basically it says, click here and I'll give you your exact numbers. I know you've seen it. It's the same thing with the macros, same thing with the flex dieting, like you were saying. You can plug in a couple of things and get the information online. Um, but I think if you use that ratio, I think you're pretty safe. Okay. And so with that being said, you know, with keto being the latest and greatest in terms of like, I mean, I hate to call it a fad diet because it's, I call it a fad diet because it's They're all popular fad diets, right now, Mike. not necessarily, you know, disparaging. I've never tried it, so I can't speak from personal experience whether, oh, it's great or not. I've heard good things from people that, you know, have done it right, I guess. But uh, is a ketogenic diet productive for a tactical athlete in the sense of, and when I say a tactical athlete from the perspective I'm looking, it's a person who has to, generally they have a desk job, but from time to time this person deploys and they have to move long distances with a heavy weight and continue to cognitively function well under stress 
and pressure and potentially, you know, other aspects of the environment of the combat environment that create difficulty in performing overall. Is keto something that is good for a tactical athlete? Or is this more of like better saved for someone else, like a, I don't know, a marathon runner or something like that? That's a really good question. So I'm going to say a couple of things up front. And one is I'm going to repeat that a tactical athlete is more like an endurance athlete. Okay. So the previous athlete that you just described, I would put them in the same category as the tactical athlete. That being said, those type of athletes, those ultra endurance athletes, they should operate on a high carbohydrate diet. They need to have a high glycogen storage to be able to tap into. So the argument for keto is that you're tapping into this very large energy source, which is your fat. So obviously there is science out there that does say that the ketogenic diet is good for people in this realm. Okay. I think that a majority of the studies show that the 70%, and now I'm talking a very high percentage of carbohydrates, there is not any other person that I would recommend that for other than ultra endurance athletes. Um, so there's a lot of science behind that. That's why they have these polysaccharide gels. And that's why these people doing the triathlons are eating M&Ms on their bike, sure. you know, um, that really quick carbohydrate source that, cause carbohydrate is the quickest form of energy. So let's say, let's just say, for example, your energy is depleted. I don't care if you're a fat storage athlete or if you're a carbohydrate storage athlete, regardless of which storage capacity you use, carbohydrates are still the quickest form of energy. And if you're exercising, or let's say you're out in the field, actively doing something for longer than 60 minutes, you need to be refueling your body with carbohydrates. And the recommendation is about 30 grams for more than 60 minutes of activity. Okay. So that's something that you can do. If you go from being a desk jockey to okay, all of a sudden now I'm in the field having to operate at this level. That's something that's an easy change, you yeah. know, where, okay, well, I know that when I'm at my desk, I don't need to be consuming that extra 30 grams, right. all right? Because I'm not doing the 60 minutes of activity. But when I am out in that field actively working for more than 60 mm-hmm. minutes, I need that carbohydrate. Gotcha. And like I said, it goes a lot deeper than that, Meg, because there are people who do very well on the ketogenic diet and they're actually doing it correctly Mm -hmm. and they are tapping into those fat stores and they are able to utilize that fat in those different environments. So when their environment changes, like you were mentioning. Okay. Well, I think it's also important to point out too, that, you know, yes, endurance is a big piece of what we're doing, but, you know, just to give everybody that's listening some insight onto you know, what the Valkyrie Project training program actually looks like if you're not currently doing it. Although we train for general endurance profiles, a big piece of it is also durability and ensuring that we have good balance and functionality at the lowest level so that we are far less likely to be prone to injury, uh, which is a big deal, you know, based on some of the assessments in schools and different crazy things that we do from time to time. And even people that, you know, might be on like a, an airborne jumping status or there's an event that pops up without fail once a quarter or several times a year where you just have to not be injured. Um, that's a big piece of what our program looks like, but it's also basically every day if you're doing the VP tactical training, um, it's functional training, but there's generally four or more little pieces um, on really 
low impact days. It might be a couple pieces where you do a strength and then something that, you know, in other areas we call a chipper, like it's just several different movements, maybe lunges and wall balls and jump ropes, stuff like that. Other days there'll be strength components, gymnastic components, accessory work components, in addition to an actual cardiac output zone where we say like, all right, this is a sprint workout, or this is a you grinding it out for an hour and just not quitting type of thing. There's a different goal each day, but either way, if I had to guess, I would say 99% of the time we're working for more than 60 minutes. And I've definitely been the person that's made the mistake to not stop to snack. It's like, I'm in my cycle of, I'm going to have my snack on my way to the gym. After the workout, I have my piece of fruit and my protein shake. But a lot of times there's two hours, two and a half hours in between where I should probably be snacking on something. Well, absolutely. So I'm glad you brought that up. And I think there was one day where I just felt like absolute shit. And you're like, Meg, why don't you just eat something and before <laughs> yes, you go that. to the next half of your workout. I remember that. Day. I felt so much better. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And I always recommend there's things that you can keep like on you. And I know, and you know, it's hard for us to get to the grocery store and get an apple or a banana, even though those things are optimal. Um, there's also other things that, I've found as long as they're minimal ingredients. So that's, I think that that's one of my mantras, I guess you should, you could say, uh, I'm not going to get on here and be paid by anybody to recommend their products. However, there are products that I do advocate for because they use very minimal ingredients and they're great for intranutrition. So that para nutrition, right? So there's pre para and post nutrition and that during the workout nutrition is what you're speaking para of. Para nutrition is very much a new concept for me, but it seems to be working out so far. Good. And you know, if you're working, you don't want to be pulling from your muscle and storing fat. That's not why we're in the gym, you know, and you were talking about injury. There's a lot of things that we can do to prevent injury. I think that on the tactical realm, one thing that I would recommend is have a community. Um, I think that, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, Chasing Ex Excellence by Ben Bergeron. Not yet. You read that? Well, one of the things that he says, he is the trainer, right, of a games athlete, actually more than one. And one of the things that he says on there is it takes a community. It takes more than just me to make you the athlete that you want to be, right? Just having me as your nutritionist is not enough. Just having you doing their programming is not enough. They need to have someone doing their massage PT recovery, right? For less injury, someone taking care of their fascia because it's going to be bunching up. They need to have someone taking care of their mental fitness because that's a huge part of this as well. So especially for someone in a high stress environment with low rest and not a lot of people understanding why are you shaving your head or why are you going through this type of training? You know, some people just don't understand and don't relate and don't accept it. You know, for I instance, because I've, ha I've been in that seat where I say like something I'm going to go do that just sounds completely absurd to this, to like a civilian person. They're like, but why? <laughs> Why is that necessary? For some people, it's their whole family. Mm -hmm. I have a really good friend yeah. who every time she goes home for her family, they're doing everything to keep her from maintaining her goals. And they say it out loud. It's terrible. Why are you eating that way? You know, we're happier because we're eating the way we're eating. I don't think that that's really true. However, um, let's get back to what I was saying. So it takes a community, right? Right. Um, so you also need a doctor. There's a lot of people, you know, that aren't utilizing the medical care because they think, well, I'm healthy. 
right? Mm -hmm. But really you need to have all of these components to minimize injury. Absolutely. And then nutrition is another part of it. Mm -hmm. And you're bringing us full circle. We've, we've already done the podcast about the prehab and rehab physical therapy aspect. We're talking nutrition. Now we talked the physical training aspect with Chris in the first episode. So I think, um, we're getting to a point now we've got some well-rounded information. Hopefully the listeners will get something out of it. We'll, we'll be getting into the mental toughness realm next. So I'm excited Good. to be doing that show. But um, I look forward to that one, Meg. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be a good one, I think. So to get us back on the nutrition train a little bit here, something that I want to discuss that I know you're just going to have a lot to say about. Another hot topic recently is that certain companies have been essentially at war with sugar. And I think righteously and rightfully so. I think there's plenty of evidence out there to support the claim that sugar is single-handedly destroying the health of Americans. And specifically for tactical athletes, male and female alike, I think it's important to recognize that cutting out the toxic ingredient of sugar in certain aspects of life can take people leaps and bounds further than they ever thought. Those folks out, those of you out there, you know, you do it drinking, you know, multiple Mountain Dews a day or multiple sweet teas, even juice drinks that you assume are healthy because they have vitamins that are packed with sugar. Like when we talk about weight loss, energy maintain or energy management, um, the ability to sustain high levels of performance, heart disease, obesity, all these things that mess us up. It all goes back to sugar, does it not? Oh my gosh, yes. So there's so much that I can say about sugar. My mind is going a million miles a minute right now. Let's just hit the wave tops. I think that... uh, Put the cake down. (laughs) I think that one thing that I do want to say is that you... Remember how I told you that in the CrossFit world, there's two different people. There's somebody who says, well, I work out this way so that I can eat what I want. And then there's the other person, well, I work out this way and I want my performance to improve, so I want to eat better, right? So... I definitely believe that you will perform better with lower sugar intake. Actually, if you eliminate sugar altogether, you'll be at the peak of your performance if you can do that. And I think that really getting down to the nitty gritty and getting really deep into these type of topics are how tactical athletes have the most performance or someone who is working in a professional sports field or something like that, where they really are trying to hone in, right? Um, Maybe for the generalized public, sugar definitely is bad and I do not advocate for eating it, but I think that it's even more so important in these environments. One thing that is the issue with this athlete who says that I can eat what I want because I work out like this they're not seeing the immediate problems. So this person is 20 years old, right? They are not at the point in their life yet where all of that accelerated inflammation has actually caused proliferation, right? Or accumulated in a way that shows this illness of some exactly. kind. It takes a long time. Right. So it's like these little tiny damages over a long period of time, which is why we can eat a whole bag of chips. And even though maybe we have a little bit of stomach upset, we're not going to see those detrimental get you into a hospital things until much, much, much later. And some people know that 
they know what could happen and they just don't care because they just don't think it can happen to them until it actually does. Even if it happens to their parents and their brothers and sisters and, you know, friends all around them until it happens to them, until they actually experience the consequences. Unfortunately, it's difficult to really make someone stop. And I think that another issue is when you have someone who's really honing in, right? And they're saying, I don't have any sugar in anything that I eat, but then they go out on Friday night and they're drinking vodka Red Bull all night. So there's a little disconnect there. It's, I'm not having any sugar. Well, are you not having any? How's that working out for Is that working? Because mm-hmm. it's probably not working out for you, <laughs> right? Because yeah. that they think, well, it's just one time. It's okay. Or, um, or all week, Monday through Friday, no sugar, no sugar, no sugar. And then they eat an entire bag of M&Ms. And listen, guys... You know, we've said a couple things on here, like I'm an ectomorph, right? And so I'm just this skinny beanpole of a person. And I don't really know what it's like, right, to be, to struggle. But I do. I've been the M&M eater, okay? I've worked out all week and done everything right. And then on Saturday, you know, eaten anything I wanted. Yeah, people I've been that give person. themselves a cheat weekend instead of a cheat meal, let's oh, say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah. the problem is because you're not your body's not getting anything from that. No nutrients whatsoever, which is why they say to eat the candy with nuts in them. So you can actually get some nutrition from it. Anyway, um, because of that, you just continue eating it because your body, there's no mechanism telling your body, Hey, I got what I need now because it's not getting anything. From what I understand too, that like not only sugar highly addictive. So even people that want to stop consuming it so much have a hard time because it's addictive. Oh yeah. And it has an immediate effect to spike your energy, even though it crashes later. Mm-hmm. But and the it, serotonin, right? Yeah, like it's there's a reason we have evolved to want to continue to seek out those food sources because, you know, depending on how you perceive human progression, back in you know Paleolithic man age, honey, for example, was not a resource you would find often. But if you could get it, you consume it because it's fuel. And that's something that you could, you know, benefit from at the time being. But now, because sugar is so commercially available at our fingertips all the time, that evolutionary mechanism that told us hoard the sugary stuff and eat it all the time is not helping us in a modern profile. You know, you don't even have to go back that far to Paleolithic eras. It's very recent where only the rich had sweet things. It was expensive. Oh, yeah. And so you didn't see like this obesogenic environment, right? I guess because it's imported a lot and stuff like that. mm -hmm. It makes sense. And so it was a treat. And matter of fact, you would see uh, the more obese people were rich because they had all this access. But then all of a sudden, my theory is that... They said sugar is bad. So then all of a sudden, the the rich people were like, okay, well, we don't want that anymore. So you guys have all of it, right? And so then it's cheaper now because it's supply and demand, right? So now it's cheaper to produce the sugary items. And in order to for the manufacturers to continue making the money, then they had to let it go for cheaper in order for the demand to equal up, right? So yeah, now we have this obesogenic devi- environment because a majority of us are not rich. Yeah. And, you know, just another little piece of that whole, it, sugar is clearly not the only form of carbohydrate, but, you know, there's been a lot of negative attention in recent years on things like cornstarch products. And a lot of people don't understand why they're really bad. It's, there was a progression, I think it was after World War II when, you know, there was a lot of economic growth and abundance 
And so mm-hmm. with the population of the United States and other countries growing exponentially because of all of this, you know, success and growth, maybe it was after World War I that this, the boom really started happening with all this. But uh, anyway, the point being that government subsidies on things like corn got huge. Government subsidies on wheat got huge. What does a government subsidy mean? It drives the price of a product for the general population down. So if I can buy a 50 cent box of spaghetti and feed my family, that's very different from, you know, the 259, you know, head of collards or whatever, which is really healthy, but might not be enough substance for people to feel full and be like, this is dinner, I'm full. And then you add to that the convenience of packaged foods and you have this probably single-handedly like killing Americans right now with different diseases just because we, we just eat way too many carbohydrates, but especially sugar. As, well, that as kind of brings me back population. to something you were asking about before. So you had mentioned one of the things of yesteryear being about the whole wheat. And that's actually something or whole grains, I think is, yeah, mm-hmm. that's something that unfortunately has changed as well. So even our whole foods, the way that they are manufactured, the way that you just described, um, unfortunately, because they're being mass produced in that way, they're actually higher in inflammatory markers now. So not only are we feeding our animals these high inf- inflammation grains, but we're our whole grains that our USDA is recommending that we consume aren't as whole as they once were. And I, there are some different grains um, that you can get that are still whole grains, but many of the ones that we get in the grocery store are highly processed and the way that they are produced are just higher in inflammation. But one of the things that you can do to combat that is, you know, with grass fed beef and grass fed beef dairy and things like that, that really helps with that omega six inflammation because um, it's a ratio balance. And I do advocate for whole grains. I myself eat grains. Um, like I told you before, I'm an ectomorph, so carbohydrates and grains are good for my body type. However, um, whole grains are the best because they have the highest nutrition profile. And anytime you're trying to choose a food, and if you want to talk about sugar, that's the big thing about sugar, is that what is it giving you other than energy? It's really only nothing. giving you that immediate energy. There's not one single micronutrient available at all. And I would venture to say that I wouldn't even lump it into the macronutrient carbohydrate category. So even though it is a carbohydrate, it's to me, that's an added sugar and it should not be lumped into your macronutrient calculations. So even though, you know, you had mentioned the flex dieting with the IFYM, like if it fits your macros, right? Right. Well, in under that assumption, you can eat whatever you want and it can be sugar. It can be M&Ms. It can be potato chips as long as it fits your macros. But what you eat absolutely matters, which is why the whole like calories in calories out, even though that math is definitely solid. Okay. I use it. Um, it definitely matters what you eat just by increasing your protein intake to what you should be eating just by doing that alone, not tracking and not doing anything else. You automatically reduce the amount of calories you consume by 450 calories, which is what makes paleo and keto so successful is, and I feel like I'm kind of getting off on a rabbit trail, but that's okay. Cause these are topics that, you know, yeah, we're and, planning and on talking about to the questions people have. Like if you feel satisfied and you're fueled with some fatty protein rich food, you're less likely to reach for M&Ms in two hours. Yes, right, absolutely. But if you choose M&Ms, you're more likely to choose either more M&Ms 
or something else that's right. not healthy in an hour, 30 right. minutes even. So a better choice would be maybe some brown rice or sweet potatoes or otherwise nutrient-dense macronutrient carbohydrate. Like Absolutely. If you're, if you're calling it the carbohydrate, this is one of three macronutrients. That source of carbohydrate should also have micronutrients, vitamins, mineral, fiber, stuff like that. Yes. And I like that um, you actually mentioned something that we were going to talk about anyway. So with when you are doing these different diets, I want to make sure that people are getting the micronutrients that they need, because oftentimes they're not, either because they're doing the diet incorrectly or because that diet tends to um, eliminate certain categories, like how paleo, it eliminates dairy, it eliminates grains, right? Or the whole 30 pretty much eliminates, you know, almost everything except fresh foods for 30 days. Um, and then, you know, with the ketogenic diet, you're severely decreasing your carbohydrate intake. Um, so sometimes because of those eliminations, you end up with vitamin deficiencies. And that's actually one of the very first things I look for in a client is vitamin deficiency because many of their symptoms, whether it's a lack of performance, um, sleeping, like being tired at 3 PM, that's the most popular one. A lot of these different symptoms, headaches, uh, fatigue can all come back to micronutrient deficiencies. So I think that, you know, you had asked me previously about supplementation and, you know, with micronutrients, you can get really expensive urine by taking a lot right. of these Just pop in like a huge supplements horse pill size Fred Flintstone or five or however the recommended dosage is. I think that that's kind of the <laughs> mindset though, isn't it? Like it's good for me. So if I take like 10, it's really good for me. Yeah. Right. You don't need 50,000 milligrams of <laughs> zinc. No. Okay. And actually Girl. that can cause, that can be problematic because yeah. there is, you know, there's deficiencies when you're low in vitamins, but then there's also a cap. There's a top end, you know, you can have too much. It's called toxicity and you don't want to have too much of a micronutrient. And I'm sorry guys that this stuff is so difficult and there's well, so much you have to think about. <laughs> I think, it, I think there's ways to whittle it down though. Like, you know, just in personal experience, you know, instead of getting so stressed and wrapped around the axle about the broad, like you said, eating the elephant slowly one bite at a time, what do I really need today right now? If I'm feeling under the weather and I know my immune system is uh, maybe compromised because I've spent a week in the field, sleep deprived, and now I come home and my sinus hurts, that's an indication I'm getting a cold maybe, uh, maybe a bit of a fever. In my personal experience, zinc and vitamin C help a lot. So I have no problem eating those airborne pills like candy because I know I'll feel better those faster. Are amazing. I love but that those. doesn't mean I need to pop those airborne pills every day of my life in order to live well. If I'm eating nutritious food with, you know, good sources of micronutrients, then I should be getting most of what I need. Another example being, um, something that's been kind of life-changing for me actually is like I've in recent years had a hard time sleeping. Like I slept like death as a teenager. Now I'm in my thirties and I find myself a really light sleeper. Like my husband can blink in his sleep and I'll hear it and wake up. It's maddening. Um, but magnesium supplementation has helped me with that a lot. And I started doing reading about it. And apparently most Americans are deficient in magnesium, but it's just a mineral that you can buy it over the counter. Um, and I take one before bed and I sleep great. And some nights I need it more than others, but you know, I think it's important to recognize, you know, just using those as an example that there is no 
one trick pony. There is no one vitamin that's perfect. There is no one thing. I think it's a really personal journey. We have to take a hard look at yourself and say, where are the areas I need most improvement? And what are the small things I can do to do that? Isn't the human body amazing in that respect? Like yes. the human body is so adaptable and so amazing. And I love how, uh, like pain, right? Pain is a warning sign. So I, these people that are, you know, pushing through pain, no, listen to your pain, you know, mm-hmm. use it as a guide. It doesn't matter where that pain is. Is the pain in your head? Is it in your shoulder? Is it in your knee? Mm-hmm. Is it in your gut? Where is it? Is it in your back? How can you make small adjustments? Just 1% mm-hmm. to change that pain. You know, yeah. don't muscle through it. Don't continue doing the same thing, you know, and muscle through that pain. It sounds like you talked to Shannon before you came here. Cause you said the same thing <laughs> on the she? last podcast. Like guys, if it hurts that bad, you should probably stop. Or do but it goes different. with nutrition as well. So sure. like if your head is hurting, listen to that. What can you do to make a difference? And, you know, with the magnesium, something that I recommend, and this is really good for your tactical athletes because they are out in the field and they need something dry that's not going to go bad, right? So putting a banana in their pocket is not really that great, right? It's not a great option. But sunflower seeds are a good source of magnesium and a really good way to keep, like, it also has the sodium. So you have that salt factor that you need because you're... Yep, you got electrolytes. Exactly. So you have the minerals and you Mm -hmm. have the electrolytes that are really great. And the fat just keeps you satisfied so you're not starving part way through the day yeah nuts and seeds are really good one of the recommendations um so we were talking about you know multivitamins when you're doing these different deprivation diets so whether it's keto paleo whatever making sure that you are eating these nuts and seeds because they do have a lot of um vitamins that you would be getting from some of the things that you're eliminating gotcha so greens are a big one nuts and seeds are another one and then um, another one is red meat the iron so if you're eliminating grains a lot of our grains nowadays are fortified with iron so okay let me say something really quick i think i, I think just it's saw really you pull important. out your soapbox it's Tina's really on important. our soapbox guys here we go i do not like processed food however let's talk about how amazing processed food is and why it was even created so at one point we were in famine right? We didn't have enough food, just like you mentioned earlier. And now we're living in Mm -hmm. abundance. Well, thank you for that. That's awesome. Unfortunately, now we don't need a lot of those things. However, when you do eliminate grains that you typically are eating and that's fortified with iron, you see a lot of, I see a lot of iron deficiencies because you have it. People are eating meat, right? So in the paleo diet, they're eating meat. You should be getting iron. But let's say they have this, um, you know, that warped sense of not eating fat, remember? So then Mm -hmm. they're eating only white chicken breasts. They're not eating any red meat. They're not eating any dark meat because there's kind of a stigma on red meat raising your cholesterol or the dark meat raising your cholesterol, right? That's one of the other So variety is a big, important thing. Absolutely. You should not be fixated on just fish or Absolutely. just chicken or just beef, pork, whatever. Absolutely. You should have it's a really variety important. of meats and fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of us, I think, fall into that habit, especially, you know, people that have to meal prep on Sunday nights because their life is too busy. You know, if you've eaten nothing but chicken all week, it's probably a good option to pick something else, get, get some other nutrients in there. And what I recommend for the meal prepping is I recommend prepping two separate items so like for example i'll make a meatball that has turkey beef and pork interesting so i've never it, done that 
so it has all of the different varieties, but in one meatball. And it's really good for meal prepping. It's really, really easy and easy to pop in your mouth super fast. Awesome. Yeah. Pro tip for you guys. Write that one down. So specifically for our ladies on the Valkyrie Project tactical program, if they can expect to be in the gym for, let's round it out and say two, two hours from start to finish, including a warm up, and you know, if they like to do static stretching or mobility after the workout, two hours of general movement um, with maybe small breaks in between, what would you recommend in terms of just like how soon and what should I eat on the way to the gym? What examples of like good mid-workout snacks would you recommend? And then post-workout, what would you recommend? And you can, and I'll give you my example. You can tell me if I'm right or wrong or on track. Typically I'll have some source of protein or fat or combination thereof on the way to the gym, like cashews or maybe a packet of tuna. I now know that I should have snacks in the middle, especially if I'm not feeling so great. So You're welcome. I usually eat like half of my piece of fruit. I just winked at her. It was, it was really quite special. I'm sad you guys couldn't see it. All, so like mid-workout, especially if I'm not feeling like I have enough energy, I'll eat like half my apple or banana or whatever it is. And then after I'll have a scoop of a 24-gram protein shake. It's, the brand I use is actually Carnabolic. It's a beef-derived protein instead of whey. And then I'll eat the rest of my piece of fruit. Am I on track? Should I mix it up a little bit? Like, what's your recommendation? That's a really good question. So um, I do agree with what everything that you ate except the nuts. Okay. So unfortunately, fat before a workout can cause cramping. I don't know if you've experienced that or not. However, once again, we all have our own fingerprint. Okay. And so this is what I tell people. Number one, everybody's different. Number two, everybody's schedule is different. What time of day they're working out is going to be different. What time they're eating their meals is going to be different. What hours they're working is going to be different. So I try to work with people individually in this regard. However, I do have kind of a baseline of, you know, pre post and paranutrition. So before your workout, roughly one to two hours before you want to have protein and carbohydrates because you need that energy source. You need to make sure that you have the carbohydrates for the immediate energy and the protein for recovery. And these are, it's easy to digest. Carbohydrates, the easiest to digest. So if you're really close to working out, um, carbohydrates and protein are the best and fats aren't because they're really hard to digest. So they stay in your gastrointestinal tract and that's kind of what causes cramping a lot of times. So different people are going to operate differently. Some people eat two hours prior to working out. Some people eat on the way to the gym. And I know personally, if I'm hungry, I I have a protein shake. If like, let's say I ate two hours prior to the gym, like I recommended, but I'm hungry when I get to the gym, then I'll just drink my protein shake that I had for after. I'll go ahead and drink it then. Sounds like you and I are the same and that we can't stand to train hungry. Some people do it, but I can't. And that kind of brings us into the intermittent fasting, um, which I'll, we'll go into, why don't we just go into that next, right? So it's on my list, girl. I know my mind. I know. So for during, I already told you, you know, the 30 grams of carbohydrates, if you're going over 60 minutes now, some people can't tolerate anything during activity. You can just swish uh, like a Gatorade in your mouth and spit it out, and still some of that carbohydrate is going to seep into your body. Now, the only type of people that I recommend this for is people who are training a lot. So I'm not just gonna tell any Tom, Dick, or Harry to go swish Gatorade and spit it out. 
Okay. This is going to be someone who is working longer than 60 minutes and cannot tolerate a carbohydrate. So like a snack in the middle of the workout. Exactly. Or even a protein shake. Maybe they can't stomach. Some people just can't stomach to literally drink. It it just bothers their stomach. Then they feel heavy. Then they're not going to perform as good. I can't do those pull-ups if I'm three ounces heavier. Exactly. <laughs> and then for, you know, afterwards, um, I recommend that protein shake. Definitely. Um, there is a couple other things that I do like, and that's creatine, which is a supplement. That's not a food, but I do believe in supplementing with creatine. It has shown to increase performance by like 15 to 20% in scientific studies. Um, and you can take that, you can take it anytime before, during, or after. Um, I just, after in the protein shake, because typically it's flavorless is just the easiest. Mm -hmm. Um, and then your meal, Typically, you want to have your heavy meal, your high carbohydrate meal after activity. So, is are we talking as like a post workout snack? Or are you talking when I get home to have dinner? No, yeah, your meal. So perfect. I'm definitely doing that right. It's like <laughs> mountain of rice. Yeah. Some people need to have that snack because number one, what did I just say? If you're working out for 60 minutes, you need to have that 30 grams of carbohydrates, right? Well, some people need to have that carbohydrate snack right then. Otherwise, they're going to be pulling nutrients from their muscles, and that's not what you want. Um, We want muscle synthesis. That's why we're in the gym. Maybe to feel better and also to improve performance in other areas, but most people want to increase muscle mass. That's why they're working out. Them gains, son? Exactly. (laughs) Um, So as far as like supplement timing around workouts, do you want me to tell you that as well or just food? I mean, you know, the main reason I asked is just generalized pointers because there's, there's going to be listeners out there inevitably who just haven't ever received any kind of nutritional coaching. I think um, folks like you and I that have been in the gym for a long time take for granted, like, duh, you take a protein shake after your workout. That's like, you know. Within 30 minutes is what I recommend for your protein yeah, but shake. But just most people don't, you know, some people, if they have if you've never heard it, so, you know, like just the baseline recommendations, like this is a a good practice for someone that's going to be doing a VP style workout for a couple hours. Well, people day. need to know why like, I'm not just on here, just saying this information for no reason, sure. right? People need to know why I say that. Why do I need to drink this protein 30 minutes after my workout? Right. Well, there's two right. reasons. One, because typically people don't consume enough protein, just bottom in line. general, yeah. in general yeah. Two, there's a lot of science that consuming protein after your workout, during your workout or before your workout, there's science for all of them can improve your performance, improve your muscle synthesis, increase your recovery time, improve your recovery time, sorry, decrease the recovery time, and also your time to fatigue. So that time, that window that you have, right, before you want to fall down and not work out anymore. So with that said, you would definitely, I'm assuming you would recommend have the shake, and even if you're going to eat dinner within an hour or two, still have the shake that's such and a have good question. Dinner like, when your appetite's back, because for the longest time I would go back and forth. Like, well, dinner's gonna be ready when I get home because my husband loves me and he's been cooking. But darn it, I just like pick three hundred pounds off the floor. I want that shake. And what I've found over time is that, like, yeah, I generally can tolerate having post-workout nutrition, and then within an hour eating dinner, I still have a huge appetite. Like, I'll so eat so all the food. Such a good point, Meg. So there's. Unfortunately, there are proteins out there that are going to be counterintuitive in that respect. I had a client once who she was taking a gainer 
It was a meal replacement protein. And then she was going to eat and she ended up gaining 10 plus pounds. So she had Those purchased like the wrong of, protein, the, high carbohydrate. Oh, that has protein. all the extra stuff, not just mm-hmm. pure protein. Exactly. I meal replacement protein. So I think knowing like what protein you're consuming and if you're mixing it with water, that's, that's like one of the recommendations is if you're going to make it a real meal replacement, then you need, you mix it with something else other than water. But if it's going to be just for your recovery from the gym, then just use water. That's a really good point. Don't use anything caloric. Otherwise you're going to be eating all of these extra calories. So it's important for everybody that's going to do this, read the label just for the supplement side to, you know, post-workout supplementing, get just straight up protein with absolutely maybe a little creatine or BCAAs, anything that's got alanine. Yep. Anything that's got like 50 extra grams of carbohydrate and 10 extra grams of fat might not be right for you after your workout if you're going to turn around and go eat dinner. Exactly. And But see, that's something that it's highly individual. Maybe that time of day, they're not going to be able to go eat. They have to go straight back to work. I have a lot of people who go straight back to work. They're working out on their lunch break. And so they need some type of energy source, which is really great because we have, as part of the collective, which I'll let you maybe talk a little bit about, but as part of the collective, we have um, the coffee shop next door that offers mm-hmm. smoothies that actually have all of the carbohydrate sources and the fat sources and the the protein butter Mm. as a meal replacement. So good. Yeah. I've actually used that as my post-workout. The nutmeg. The nutmeg. Yeah. What is the nutmeg? So for those of you that live local to Spring Lake, North Carolina, there's a delicious drink at Cactus Creek Coffee called the nutmeg. It's named after me. It's peanut butter and vanilla protein powder, espresso, and it's just all blended together. I think there's some almond milk in there too, and they sweeten it with honey and not sugar. So it's like perfection, post-workout snack perfection. Yes, but don't go eat a meal after you drink the nutmeg. Right, so at least the not point for I'm a couple hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that's, and I definitely have noticed that difference too because the peanut butter is fatty and satiating. I can last an hour and a half, two hours on that snack before I'm like, it's time to eat again. But straight up protein shake, and like, I'm ready for dinner immediately. Good stuff. Protein is also good before bed, but I recommend casein before bed because it's slower. The breakdown process is slower. So as far as your absorption of the protein, the whey absorbs faster and the casein is slow release through the night. Good point. I'm glad you mentioned that because I've I've actually noticed that especially on really high physically demanding weeks of, you know, working out, I, I recover a lot better if I have some casein before I go to sleep too. Good call. Thanks for that, Miss Tina. I'm going to bring up one more topic that I think is going to be pretty important for our listeners. And it might be a little bit taboo, but I don't much care because we're here to teach people. So tactical female athletes on their cycle. I have had such a hard time finding any kind of science and evidence. And if it doesn't, if it's not in existence yet, please let me know. But you're way smarter than me on nutrition. So I'm sure you'll have an answer or at least, you know, some suggestions but women on their cycle, they have cravings, they have fatigue, you know, eating an entire bar of chocolate sounds like a good idea most of the time during that, that period. But, uh, we've also got to continue performing and some of us have to, in addition to continuing to train, some folks actually find themselves in the middle of a demanding military school or training environment that they just simply can't get out of. And at that point, it's like, I can make better choices for my nutrition or worse to help me feel better or feel like I'm more productive during this crappy time. So, you know, what recommendations would you make if any, you know, if, if it's good to listen to those cravings or if it's more like 
your body's tricking you, don't do it type Well, thing. I'm really glad that you just said that. Is it good to listen to those cravings? Well, from everything else I've said today, what do you think the answer to that question is? I mean, I think it's yes, but it would it have is. to be like dark chocolate versus M&Ms yes. probably because well, of less and sugar. knowing these are the tiny little intricate details that we work out in my consultations. Like how can I enjoy life and enjoy food and still get the performance and the micronutrients, right? right? And still get the macronutrient balance that I need and eat the right things. And um, I think that when you're eating around your cycle, your body needs the extra carbohydrates. Your body isn't going to tell you that it wants something unless it needs it. Okay. Um, so there's a couple of things that you need. You need elevated carbohydrates and you need more iron because you're depleting your iron. So I recommend during, um, so typically that carbohydrate period is before the actual menstruation. It's the okay. week, the two weeks prior to that. So that's when you immediately before is when you start getting irritated. Um, you start feeling bloated. It's like a real manifestation of hangry. Like. <laughs> yes. Um, the carbohydrates. And so that's when in your mind, we've all said it, my cycle's about to start, right? It's funny that you say that because I've actually always been really bad at this. I'll be like, <laughs> I'm on a damn rampage right now. It feels like the world is ending. What the hell is wrong with me? Oh, that thing that happens every single month is happening again. I've been doing this for 32 years. Or less than that, but you know what I mean? Like, yes. how do I not understand this by now? Anyway, that's funny. Oh my goodness. So um, in that period, you definitely, no pun intended. I promise that pun was not intended. In that period of time, you want to um, do give in to those carbohydrates. And actually, during the, the next cycle, which is the actual menstruation, your hormones decrease. So those female hormones that make us all female-like, that made us moody and cry for no reason when we were binge-watching Netflix prior to the... Oh, I don't do that. <laughs> I only watch the funny stuff on Netflix. Prior to the menstruation, um, that's when our hormones are elevated, right? So during the actual menstruation is when our hormones are lower and we're more, air quote, manlike. So we actually have a 33% increase in performance. What? Yes, strength performance. So now, even I just want I'm you to just stop, okay? I want everybody to stop. You just and I just close your eyes and just think for a minute, oh my okay? God. Okay. Okay. So what is it actually that's causing your big issue while you're on, while you're menstruating? Is it the fact that you're afraid that something is coming through your pants? Is it the fact that you're feeling like something is going to be very uncomfortable for and me, embarrassing? For me, it's just the pain, honestly. Like, we actually have a comfort. higher pain tolerance during that time. That is what leads to the increase in strength. So women uh, during that period of time have a higher pain tolerance because we are experiencing all of that pain. Think about localized pain. If you broke a finger and I pinched your leg really hard, the pain in your finger would decrease, right? Because your mind is focusing on me pinching your leg. Sure. It's you kind know? of whatever hurts most at the moment or Exactly. Whatever. So you're working out and sometimes it can be painful. I mean, lifting 500 pounds or however many pounds you're lifting can be kind of painful, right? Thanks for the vote of confidence. <laughs> I don't mean painful in a bad way. I mean, just, just Discomfort. like, oh my gosh, this is so heavy. Yeah. Um, so or if you think about it from that aspect mm -hmm. and you're already experiencing this crampy pain here, then the pain from the lift is going to be so minute compared to that pain. You know, that pain is way worse. Um, so 
Also on top of that, what is also giving you that increased performance was that elevated carbohydrate intake mm. from prior to menstruation. So not only are you l- basically carb loading, right? Okay. Okay. Without even thinking about it. Okay. You're basically loading up your uh, glycogen storage for activity. And, and this only works with strength. It doesn't affect endurance much. It's only strength that it affects, but definitely to answer your question, definitely eat the carbohydrates. If your body says eat them, if it's chocolate, yes, get the antioxidants from the dark chocolate instead of the milk. And if you're one of those people out there, who's like, I could never eat dark chocolate. I was you (laughs) 10 years ago. It's so good (laughs) now. Like your palate just changes. That's true. It, it becomes easier to eat healthier foods the more you do it because you just, you know, you, you grow accustomed to, to that profile of flavor. Man, I've been doing it wrong the whole time. Like I'll skip days sometimes and I'm just like, this is unbearable. I'm fatigued, but I'll have to try this out. So, it, so- well, the pms time is the time when you want, that's when you don't want to be loading. So when you're loading weight, you mean to exercise. Right. Oh, okay. Right. So that's the time when you're like, I'm bloated. I'm, I want to cry. I want to eat all the M&Ms. This is right prior to menstruation. That's the time when your hormones are elevated and you're more girl-like. So maybe don't push the envelope so much during that phase, but during the nitty gritty of the cycle, just get after those heavyweights, do it. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. I like this. This is like the most concrete advice I've ever gotten on this topic. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Good stuff. Okay, I think we have covered a pretty astonishing gamut of topics, and I think that this is, you know, especially for those listeners that don't have any kind of experience whatsoever with managing their nutrient profile, hopefully they're walking away with something super helpful that they can apply in real life and and say that, you know, I can do this better now, but I would still advocate for sure if you didn't get anything from this podcast, drop the Mountain Dew, just walk away, drink some water instead, or unsweetened tea. I definitely want to, before we part ways, Meg, I just want to say a couple of positive things about a couple of those diets because sure, they might be fad diets, but I, there is a lot of science about some positive effects that they have on the body. Like the ketogenic diet, it has been proven to reduce you know, cancer in people because of the, the lack of the, the sugar substrate for the proliferation of cancer cells. So there is a That's lot of right. science. Cancer cells live on sugar, don't they? Yes. I like in forgotten. chemistry class, you have that little Petri dish, right? And it's got the glucose. You know I forgot about? I read about that. Yeah. And it, yeah. it creates food for those cells. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, people have gotten off of their blood pressure medicine and their, um, just droves of medicine on the paleo diet because of the reduction in inflammation, which inflammation, you know, colitis, Crohn's disease, um, cardiovascular disease. I mean, a lot of these diseases are from inflammation and cellular inflammation, right? Cellular inflammation. Yeah. Not like I burn myself on the frying pan inflammation (laughs) necessarily, but like, or cut a finger and then everything's like running to it or got an ant bite. Right. Not that like microscopic. Exactly. And, um, also for people who have like autoimmune diseases, the whole 30 diet, the elimination diet is really, really great because you can eliminate everything and add things back one thing at a time. So you can decide, well, what is it that's giving me these autoimmune okay. reactions? Um, so even though I say that it, it's more about eating whole foods and you know eating less of it, I do want to say that those diets do have a place. And sure. I'm not going to advocate for one specifically, but I'm also not going to be against them either. So I don't want anybody to get that idea. Good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
each one of us is on an individual journey and, you know, the more we can educate ourselves with things like podcasts and reading different studies and articles and learning from the smart people out there and we can make those better choices every day. Who was it that said, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food? Like Socrates or something like that. Oh, yeah. Somebody's going to hear this. I was just reading that earlier. And they're going to correct me. But uh, that's okay. Um, It's so true, though. It's definitely true. So at this point, before we go, Tina, I just wanted to quickly ask for those that would like to reach out for more information, are you available remotely for those that don't live in the local area where we live? And if so, like, where can these folks find you? Uh, Yes, I am. You can find me on Instagram at at cmazulo77, and that's at C-M-A-Z-Z-U-L-L-O-7-7, or Charlie Mike Alpha Zulu Zulu Uniform Lima Lima Oscar 77 for those tactical female military athletes out there. Um, Yeah, just hit me up on Instagram, and we can do consultations remotely or in person. I do like to be in person, but I do do remote consultations as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here. This has been super enlightening for me and I know it's going to be a really well-received episode. So thanks again. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. I really enjoyed it. And I think I could have talked for another hour. Well, we'll we'll let you take a potty break before that happens. Thank you. (laughs) And as always, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ValkyrieProjectUS.com to send ideas, shout outs, personal testimonies, or stories you'd like to share. We are also on Facebook and Instagram as Valkyrie Project US, so be sure to like and follow those pages to stay up to date. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Thanks for listening.